1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you want to find that and join me there, we're picking up where we last left off in our study of 1 Corinthians. Um, I've entitled this study all last year and into this year now, Counter Culture Christianity. Uh, the Apostle Paul was teaching and writing to responses. He was giving responses to questions that the confused Corinthian Christians had. He was writing to uh, mis- uh, misappropriating practices in the church. Uh, uh, the Christians in Corinth were living a carnal lifestyle. They were adapting the worldly culture and thinking in philosophical ways. And they were making a mess of what God intended for the church. And so this has been our study for quite some time, and it's been exciting to learn some of the shocking truths that you and I need to implement in the local congregation, the wonderful things. Well, here we are now, finally into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, it's been taking quite some time to get through, um, for instance, chapters uh, 12, and then the love chapter in 13, and then back into application of spiritual gifts in verse 14. Uh, we ended with a, with a solemn reminder of right order and, and um, steps to follow in the church in the end of 14. And now, nearing the end of Paul's letter, closer to the end than when, we start, when he started, he kind of says in a way that, that what he's saying here as a whole is, before I finish and close out this letter, let me remind you of something you already know. A lot of our learning, a lot of great instruction in our lives is a reminder of what we already know. And every one of us as Christians, no matter what age or stage in life, need to be reminded. I've entitled our study, in which I'm only going to give an introduction more or less for this morning, um, but that's, that's the challenge of, of this pastor to change things kind of last minute. The title of our study is Validation of the Resurrection Gospel. Validation of the resurrection gospel. You know, Jesus Christ raising, his being raised from the dead is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns. Others have rightly stated it very similarly to that as well. The resurrection of Christ is central to the Christian faith. You know, probably even, even more Um, of a celebration than Christmas or any other is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the reason for the, or it is the, we, we exist today. The church continues today. We meet together on Sunday, all pointing back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've celebrated that in the Lord's table this morning. We continue to do that often. If you were to omit the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Christianity would effectively become nothing more than a useless story or another philosophical opinion of another individual or people group. It would be nothing at all. It wouldn't amount to anything else but just another um, fantastical story. But it's so much more than that. It is factual, hard, unbiased, concrete evidence in history as it's related in scripture as well in fact when somebody attacks the the resurrection of jesus christ they are actually tearing down the very cornerstone cornerstone of christian faith that's what's being attacked when the resurrection is being doubted and 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 taught against or refuted rejected listen the resurrection is the foundation 
of the Christian faith. And the Apostle Paul said elsewhere, um, if, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So in other words, if, if there is no resurrection of Christ, there can be no salvation. We've, we've covered a number of very um, interesting, timely, relevant passages so far in 1 Corinthians, haven't we? Some have been more exciting than others. Some have been a little bit more tricky. We have to be careful and wade carefully through the text to make sure we understand them correctly. And then we get to such a a paramount pinnacle text as 1 Corinthians 15, speaking of the resurrection of our Lord, the the clear, concise um, uh, uh, um, explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of us as Christians go, oh oh, yeah, that text. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, we know about the resurrection. We know what happened on the cross. And let's get into some of the other meat of things. And I think we need to reject that shallow perspective of 1 Corinthians 15. And a closer look ought to, ought to cause a, no one else but Christians to get so excited about what the gospel means in our lives. How foundational it is to our doctrine, our teaching. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, you might help find this helpful to know, but 1 Corinthians 15, as the Apostle Paul was writing, is not written primarily to prove the resurrection of Christ to Christians. You might have maybe seen it that way in years past, and maybe that might be your understanding this morning, but 1 Corinthians, a clear description of Christ's resurrection, defense and validation of that, is not written for the purpose to convince Christians like you and me that Christ indeed re- did re- raise from the dead. That's not the purpose of 1 Corinthians 15. It's effective in that. It's helpful in that, but that wasn't the purpose. It isn't written. 1 Corinthians was not written to try and convince unbelievers that Jesus really rose from the dead. That also was not the primary purpose of 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, it was written instead to prove to Christians, listen to this, that because Christ literally bodily rose from the grave, from the dead, we too as Christians will bodily, physically be raised from the dead. That was the purpose of 1 Corinthians 15. And it's with that in mind that I invite you to look closely as we examine just a few verses, not all 11, which was the intention originally, and the Lord saw fit otherwise. We're going to just get into the introduction a little bit this morning, into Paul's introduction at the end of a letter. The Corinthians were confused. The theme of, of 1 Corinthians 15 is to right confusion, to correct confusion that the Corinthians had. That's the theme throughout 1 Corinthians. It's just correction of bad behavior. Correction and expelling of worldly, carnal, cultural thinking out of the church so that we get back to biblical, godly, righteous thinking and practice and doctrine. We need that in churches today. We need that at Calvary. We can always excel to do exceedingly better and excellently before Christ. And so 1 Corinthians is invaluable to us. So here's the theme of 1 Corinthians 15, to correct the Corinthians' confusion. These Christians, the Christians in first century 
in the first century, these Christians here at Corinth, they, they were confused. They believed in Christ's resurrection. That wasn't a confusion. Amen. They were on the same page with that. That's why Paul starts by saying, I tell you something that I've told you before. He's calling them to remind them of something that he told them only years prior in establishing that church. But he writes to them to answer their confusion. What is their confusion? What's the rub? Well, the confusion was they were confused about their own bodily, physical resurrection after death. And the reason this was so confusing is because of the culture, and the, 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 the Gnosticism and the, the Greek philosophy that would, that would teach that, that the body, the, 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 the physical things were, were separate from the spiritual things. And so the bodily, carnal, they may not use that word, but the bodily thing that can do wrong morally and immorally and things like this is separate from the spirit. And after the body dies, that the body is done and over with. There is no resurrection of the body. And so when Christians would speak of Christ's resurrection, the culture of the day, as do in some religions today, would refudiate that. They would say, no way. No way did Christ raise from the dead. And furthermore, forget about that. There's no way that you Christians will raise from the dead. And the Apostle Paul writes to him and says, stop listening to them. They're confused. They don't know what they're saying. I have already told you, remember that Jesus rose from the dead. So therefore, because he rose from the dead, it satisfied God's wrath and his death, burial, resurrection. And because he conquered sin and death and he rose from the grave and conquered the grave, you too will also be bodily raised from the grave one day and receive a glorified renewed, refreshed, brand new body. Amen? This is what Paul is writing to say. I can't wait for that day. God's timing is going to be perfect. We look around and we see it and it looks oh so close. We're like, yeah, you know, we're looking, Lord's, Lord's return is coming. You know, Paul thought, thought the same things and rightly so. We need to be thinking and living as if as Scripture tells us, Christ's turn is eminent, and at any moment, dear friends, that brings great joy, and it gives us purpose for obedience now. So the Corinthians were confused about the bodily resurrection, and I mentioned the source of their confusion. They had allowed themselves to fall prey to the Greek philosophical thinking of their culture and their age and their time. How easy it dear, is it, dear friends, to adapt the type of thinking that the world has you know, when we ba- immerse ourselves in an in a, in electronic, televised, um, 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 promoting, advertising world that we're in, when we're immersed in that and we are not careful and on guard and on point against what is the world and what is the scripture, we can easily begin to subliminally think like the world. Say, Pastor, this is a harsh message. It's like the world and it's us. And can, that's exactly what God's word says. There's the world, unsaved, carnal, unregenerate way of thinking. And then there's the righteous, godly, Christ-like, biblical way of thinking. Paul is saying, we need to just get our heads on straight again, Christians. Don't forget what I've told you before. Remember what I've instructed you to be true. Let me remind you, he says. It's almost like he's saying, I'm almost done. We can go to lunch in a minute, but let me finish writing this out, as the scribe would be writing for him, more than likely. Allowing the world to mix with the church 
the Corinthians had allowed just about every carnal thing of the world in, including the denial that there was such a thing as a bodily resurrection, which was the, the common in the, in the Greek culture at that time and that belief. And so even though these Christians believe the bodily, physical resurrection of Christ, their pagan background and the influences of the philosophical culture around them had perverted the thinking within the ranks of the congregation and the Christian church. This led them to surmise that apart from Christ, there was no physical resurrection. So this is, this is the position of the church the Christians at that time knew full way, they were fully aware that, yes, Christ had risen from the dead. We'll accept that. Sounds good. Throw in an amen. But I don't know about us being raised from the dead. I mean, I, mean, I was brought up in the schools, if they were speaking at that time. We were brought up in the schools in the thinking that there is no afterlife for the body after I die. Maybe, maybe Paul's got it wrong. Maybe those things I heard about, it just doesn't make sense. This is what the world is saying. This is what the majority is saying. There's no way my body can be raised after death. And so now here's what Paul is trying to do. Paul is teaching the reality of a physical resurrection for believers. For born-again Christians, Paul is reminding us there is a resurrection of the body. And it's validated. This information, this truth is validated or proven by the resurrection of Christ, which was physical. The resurrection is is, is, is fundamental to the gospel. Let me just read for you the first two verses. Follow, follow in your scriptures. First uh, Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, your copy of God's word says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. You see, the resurrection is fundamental to the gospel. Paul says, let's go back to basics. I'm almost finished writing, but I want to remind you of some basics. And in verse 1, he mentions the gospel. And we know what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the truth of the gospel that Paul is reminding them of. The the willing, obedient death of a sinless Savior. Savior. The, the, the substitutionary death of him on the cross, his bury, the burial, the bodily, physical, dead corpse of our Lord, buried. And then the bodily, physical resurrection of Christ. This is the truth of the gospel. Paul also writes, which also you have received and therein you stand. And this was no new doctrine. This wasn't something brand new, like he's introducing some reformed way of thinking and changed doctrine that sounded hip, cool, or strange, and he had to convince them. He says, remember what I've already told you. 
This is what you've believed at one point in time. This is the gospel in which you've placed your faith and trust in. You've received this message and you've been changed because of it. Look at who you are, church. How can you deny the very thing that you once believed? This wasn't brand new, but it needed to be remembered. They needed to be reminded of it. He says, by which also you were saved if you, notice this word, take note of this word right there in the scripture, keep in memory. By which also you are saved if you keep in memory. This, is, this word here in the original is in the perfect tense. This is important. It helps you understand. So listen to this. Keep in memory, being in perfect tense, means a continuing, continuing belief. It might also be rendered rightly to hold fast to, to remain in, as opposed to maybe a mere intellectual assent or a mere knowledge to something. Sure, yeah, it's probably b- true. The facts are right. This is something that we hold in, we remain in. Even the devils, Scripture says in James 2.19, even, even devils and Satan believe and tremble, right? And so for us to say, I believe God exists, that's not salvation. Satan himself believes God exists. No, it's more than that. Rather, a genuine, continuing faith is a faith which James, in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, tells us produces uh, 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 works. We will see works. We will see fruit. This life-changing, saving faith by God's grace is something that transforms our life to where we are different than what we were before. Not sinless. Oh, that would be beautiful. Not perfectly sinless yet, but a changed life, a changed mind, a changed perspective, a changed way of living. This is the faith that he's reminding them. And he's calling to remember those in the, in, in the, in the congregation. He's saying, remember, this is the faith, that you, the faith that you hold fast in. This is the faith that you have received, and even to this day, you remain in. And the true Christians, true Christians are evidenced by their continued faith. If you were to come over with me real quickly to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23, the apostle writes there and, and he expands on this. You see, true Christians are evidenced by their continued faith. And so this is a mark. This is a, 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 um, a descriptive of a born-again believer that continues in faith. Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul writes and says, In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. See that present tense, continued in the faith? Grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. You see the descriptive quality there that helps us understand? So, if you move away from the hope of the gospel, if we have one that claims to be a born-again Christian, and, and they move away from the hope of the gospel, and they no longer are claiming to believe these things, it becomes at that point potentially an evidence that it never was genuine in the first place because we believe salvation can never be lost. 
It is final. It is eternal. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. All of 1 John and so many other passages speak of salvation being a once-for-all, final event, secure, sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we're not talking about the loss of a salvation, but those who seem to turn away may be indications that that faith was never genuine in the first place because they do not continue in that. It is evidence that it never was genuine as they turn away from that and that you believed in vain. You can cross-reference 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. So friend, you are... Are you? I will not tell you you are. Are you? The question of the text cries out to be answered. Are you certain that your faith is not in vain? That it's worthless? Are you, wor- are you, are you, are you confident that it is not worthless? And without, uh, with no commitment, without any commitment it is. Is it simply based on emotionalism? I'm not preaching a, a sort of work salvation here. And Paul isn't either. He's not saying that it's a commitment to the faith. Stay in the faith or you may be unsaved. He's saying your commitment in continuing in faith is an indication of genuine saving faith. You see? Is it simply based on emotionalism? Is your salvation simply based on, well, I've always been told by my parent. I've always, I've always been led to believe the church is convinced of this, so I can't tell them otherwise. I had this wonderful experience. There was an altar call and I came forward, so therefore I'm saved. I, I see nowhere in Scripture that says an altar call saves an individual. It may have been during responding to an invitation to come forward that maybe somebody spoke to you or you publicly testified, hey, I've, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've repented of my sins and I'm a born-again believer. And for that, Amen. Now, if they are true Christians, what Paul is teaching here, if they are true Christians and they give evidence of it by continuing to believe, then they are the ones who have already received the gospel. They already stand on the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is this gospel that Paul calls into calls our attention to as an introduction for teaching us very clearly in the longest chapter of all of Corinthians, 58 verses, teaching us on the true reality of a bodily resurrection for those who are born again, those who are genuinely saved. This, among many other reasons, causes us to look very strange at funeral services to the world. It causes people to, to turn, a, a, give us a strange look. How are they rejoicing at the homegoing, the promotion to glory of brother or sister so-and-so? Because we believe in the gospel that says there is life after this physical death. And dear friends, the scriptures teach us that Christ is not finished with our bodies. But those who have died before us will see Christ before us as we meet him in the air and we receive a glorified body. This is the truth. This you can take to the bank if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. 
Friends, this is just the beginning introduction of an exciting chapter, and I'm going to stop there for today. We're going to be done here today, but I pray that maybe you take an opportunity to read through 1 Corinthians 15, to pray and to study through this, and be ready for our next time together to study together what this means, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the resurrection of those who die. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for an exciting chapter at the time we had this morning. I pray that each one is again renewed and excited of the importance of the gospel. If Christ had not raised from the dead, there would be no resurrection for me. There would be no resurrection for others. Lord, thank you for heaven, the hope of heaven, for salvation. Thank you for your word, the opportunity to just get a taste of this glorious chapter of scripture. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that they would be reminded and that they would learn of what the gospel is. The other side of this is without salvation, it means your righteous, holy, loving punishment of sin. A place called hell, eternal torment and separation from Christ forever. Lord, salvation is the most important decision that we can make, accepting the free gift that you offer. I pray that everyone would carefully examine their condition so that they can be certain, rooted on the word of God, where they will spend eternity. Pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.